The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Mark. On the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you, carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples then went off, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. While they were eating, he took bread, said a blessing, broke it, gave it to them, and said, Take it, this is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then after singing a hymn, he went out to the Mount of Olives. The Gospel of the Lord. We are celebrating today the solemnity of the Corpus Christi. Corpus in Latin meaning body, where we get the word corporal, corpus. Christi, of course, Jesus, so the body of Christ. The solemnity of the most holy body and blood of Christ. Why celebrate something that we do every Sunday? Or for some of you, we celebrate Mass every single day. Why set aside a day like this where we do it so often? Just like with the things that are so part of who we are, things, no matter how significant and central it is to our own life, can turn into something routinary, thus lose the significance and the essence of it and, uh, and the meaning of it. That's why every single year we have to pause for this day, to pause and reflect on the most important gift that was given, that is given to us, that has been given to us, the very self of Christ in the Eucharist. But also, it's interesting, it's imperative that we have to talk about the Eucharist more often because two years ago, I've shared this, 
I think last year or two, two years ago, that there was a survey um, done by the Pew Research. You know, the Pew Research does many of the surveys that affects ecclesial life, you know, where people are, where people are in their faith. And the survey was how many Catholics, or what do Catholics say about the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist? It was so shocking, actually, the result of the survey, that seven out of ten Catholics in the U.S. do not believe in the real presence of Jesus in the Eucharist. That 69% of adult Catholics profess Catholics in the country. And uh, meaning less than one-third, less than one-third of U.S. Catholics actually truly believe in their hearts that Jesus, wholly present in His divinity in the most blessed sacrament in the Eucharist. That's less than one-third. And they scrutinize even the 69% that don't believe in the real presence. And when they, when they broke it down, it gives me a lot of hope because 50% of the 69% that says we don't believe in the real presence, don't believe it because they didn't know it. They didn't know it. It was not, they, they never really heard about it. Meaning, good catechesis and good instructions in the faith and good witnessing to the real presence will, hope, will hopefully draw the 50% who don't know it to the, to the truths of the faith. But strikingly, 22% of the 69 who said that they, that they don't believe in the real presence said, yeah, we know about it, but we don't believe it. It's shocking. It is shocking because the Eucharist is the one or nothing for us. <laughs> and I've mentioned this so many times, that the Eucharist for us Catholics is not a symbol. It is not a sign. It is not a representation of Jesus. But rather, it is Jesus Himself. One of the things that that I used before that actually struck me was a few years ago, and I've shared this, pardon me if I shared this already in my previous homily, in my previous homilies, but this really even deepened my belief in the Eucharist. When satanic masses were getting popular a couple of years ago, one of the things that they did is to, to get uh, one of their members went into the church, attended Mass, and got the Eucharist. And the member said that, even the, their leader said, we cannot have a real satanic Mass without a consecrated host in our midst to be desecrated. <laughs> you know, as horrible as it is, 
even those who subscribe to Satanism believe in the real presence because they could just get or buy a host in a store. But they said that it has to be a consecrated host in order for a real satanic mass to take place that they have to desecrate it. Meaning, you know, darkness and versus light, you see, you know, those two opposite poles. In order for that light, for that darkness to triumph or to be successful, according to their standard, they have to have the real deal there. This just boggles my mind because if those who subscribe to this cult believe in the real presence, how much more us who are actually professing the faith? And this just changes everything, guys. Everything changes for us in the way we treat one another, in the way we value the faith, if we truly embrace this greatest gift that it's not a symbol, it's not a representation. One of the questions that I got from children or even from teens who are preparing for the sacrament, you know, um, because we, we really want to, for them to, to realize, if there's one thing that they need to, to realize in all this sacramental preparation is that when they receive Jesus in the blessed in, at Mass, when they receive the host, it's not just a piece of bread. It's Jesus. If that's the only thing that they can take away from all of this sacramental preparation, we have done our job. <laughs> And it's interesting, one of their questions was, how does it even happen, Father, that just the words of the consecration, just do it? How does it even happen, just by words, that there is the real transformation that it happens? I've explained to you before the power of words. Creation happened simply by the words of the Father. Let there be light, and there was light. Creation happened purely by the utterance of the Word. And that's the same thing that happens in the Eucharist. That's the same thing. One of the examples that I use in, in the RCAA, which I got from Bishop Robert Barron, was if I come to you right now, like... I'm here right in front of you, Sue, and I say to you, Sue, you're under arrest. Oh, so you see, you're just laughing at me. <laughs> it's because my words are empty. I don't have power to say that, right? You're just going to laugh at me. But if a, if a policeman will come here and tell you, Sue, you're under arrest, it's going to be pretty serious. You're not going to be laughing. You know, that's the same thing when the priest utters the words of consecration in virtue of the grace of the ordination, representing or doing this in the person of Christ, the head, there's power in there, the transformation in there. But also, it's all over the place in the Scriptures. I listed some of them, aside from um, the gospel acclamation that we had this morning. From John, don't search for bread that 
perishes, but look for bread that lasts into eternal life. I myself am the living bread that came down from heaven. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Amen, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life within you. You see, you know, there were so many people who were following Jesus, and when he started to talk about himself as the bread of life, that you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood, people started to fade. People started to leave him. This was like, there's a saying in American English, right? The straw that broke the camel's back. When Jesus started to teach all of this, what did, the, what did the people say? Literally, you can find it in the Scriptures. We cannot accept this. We cannot accept this. We will leave you. And they left. And only the twelve remained. And then Jesus turned to them and said, Guys, are you also going to leave me? And what did Peter say? Where else shall we go? You have the words of everlasting life. But his teaching on the Eucharist was the most difficult to accept on the part of his many followers. But that is also where he stressed a lot who he is. The word that was used in here, um, in Greek, when it says, eat my body or eat my flesh, is the, the, the Greek word trogon, which you don't, you don't use that word to describe someone who is eating normally. Trogon, in English actually, is translated as no, knowing. G-N-A-W, is that, how, how do you pronounce it? No. And, you know, what do you do when you gnaw? Huh? It's like, you know, it, the, when I was doing Google, Googling about this, because English is not my first language, some of the examples that they do, it's like when a dog is super hungry and just like tearing the flesh in the bowl, it's like, oh my, that's kind of gross. Um, well, not gross, but I was just like, that's the way to describe, you know, the way we partake in the body of Christ? It's like, it's, it's put offing, right? But it is put offing because that's how we should hunger for Christ. As if there's no other source of sustenance. There is no other source of, of nourishment for us that our excitement is like that. You know, it's like not knowing. It's like, oh, wow. The other word that was used was fogo, P-H-O-G-O, which is actually more like devour. It's like when a lion gets his prey and devour it and with gusto, you know? The feeling is just so extreme for me. It's just so overpowering, but it also tells us 
how we need to desire for God and the way He offers Himself to us in the Eucharist, we should respond to it with like as if there's no other source. There's really no other source. No, no as if. But for our own spiritual life, that's it. Why are you here? You need to ask yourself with that. Why are you here? I have some friends who tell me, you know, said, oh, you know, in their own parishes. I'm sure there are also people in, in our parish like, oh, you know, music is terrible in my parish. Well, not here, you know, guys. Oh, music is terrible in our parish. It's like, you know, our kids go sometimes to some of the camps, they said, and some of the camps are uh, from other denominations, and they have great youth group, they have great music, they have great this, that, camps, and all of those things. And then one time, we, we were talking, and the kid, you know, eight years old, said, Dad, they're great but they don't have the Eucharist. I was just like, wow. I said, you're a priest in making. <laughs> this, is, this is what defines us. The homily of the priest might be boring, repetitive, like me, but you don't take away, you know, you still get the most important thing, which is the Eucharist. It's a bonus to get a good preaching, to have great music, you know, and the pastor is nice. It's a bonus. But if you all have all those great things and you don't have the Eucharist, what's the point? What's the point? So as we celebrate this most important gift, we are also called not just to stay in rituals, because it is so easy just to see our Eucharistic experience as ritualistic. In the end, our partaking in the Eucharist calls for transformation of the heart, that we become what we eat. That when I receive Jesus and Jesus is already in me, I become the tabernacle there, the living tabernacle. And the person who received Jesus becomes the living tabernacle too. So whenever we pass by this place, we always bow. You become the tabernacle, meaning each one of us then becomes so worthy of respect, of love, of care, of every good thing because Christ inhabits in us, because we become what we eat.